meantime, I'm going to uh, welcome you all. <laughs> right, okay. I'm going to welcome you all to another uh, Sweetwater benefit. And we really need this place in this town, and it's a good thing we got it. Just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, among the giant redwoods, lies the small town of Mill Valley, home to the Sweetwater, an intimate music venue that's earned worldwide fame. The original Sweetwater opened its doors in 1972, and 50 years later to the day, the Grateful Dead's Bobby Weir took the stage at Sweetwater Music Hall for a benefit gala celebrating its golden anniversary. once-in-a-lifetime show has been a commonplace occurrence at Sweetwater, where a lucky few have been in the room to see world-renowned artists share the stage. Like when Jerry Garcia jammed with Elvis Costello and Sammy Hagar, or the night Bonnie Raitt and Santana joined John Lee Hooker, or more recently when Jim James or Billy Strings played with Bobby Weir. Welcome to Heart of Town, 50 Years of Sweetwater. So how did this small music club in Mill Valley, California become such a legendary venue? Original Grateful Dead family member and king of the roadies, Steve Parrish, sets the scene. When the Haight-Ashbury began to fall apart, we moved in pieces up to Marin County. And it was a natural progression to come up here. We first settled out by Point Reyes and uh, Rucka Rucka Ranch, which was Weir's place. He gave us his barn and Mickey's Ranch was down the road into Novato on the back roads of Marin is where we lived. Then we all migrated to Stinson Beach. Stinson Beach is right over Mount Tam on the other side by the ocean. And we all lived in that town, Jerry up on the hill and everybody from the Grateful Dead family and crew, we, we took over this town, literally. So then as a year or two went by, people started saying, man, we can't get to the gigs so easy we drifted into Mill Valley now and started living here. We had so many great friends and so many great people were involved in this town. And so it was magical with Mount Tam and all of the history that I knew of this area and the beauty of it. So I find a house right in Old Mill and who's my landlord but Francis Coppola. And I get the house and I knew him from the shows. And he goes, Steve, you're gonna rent my house, great, you know. And so uh, I had an acre of land in Old Mill Park there. So just by walking out my door, I, all I had to do was take a little jag and I was right there at the old Sweetwater that Jeannie ran. And we knew that place because there were not a lot of nightclubs in Marin County at that time, very few. So music was all at the Sweetwater. And Jeannie represented that cultural thing in a town that could tend to be, uh, you know, Marin County was, was like the sleepy bedroom community, but you still needed some culture without going across the bridge. And that's what the Sweetwater offered. So you had people from all over showbiz come here and they would pop in and could get a hold of us through the grapevine. You heard Big Steve mention Jeannie. That's Jeannie Patterson, who took over the Sweetwater in 1979 and over the next two decades transformed the venue into one of the country's most respected showcases for American roots music. Here's Paul Liberatore, a longtime Marin rock journalist and historian. There wouldn't probably may not be live music in Mill Valley if it weren't, weren't for her. 
there was actually a lawsuit filed by people in town to stop live music and shut down Sweetwater when she first took it over. You know, we, now Mill Valley has this reputation and everybody is so proud of it. You know, rock stars live here. We have live music here. We have Sweetwater. It's one of the, it's the cachet of the town, right? But it wasn't always, it wasn't that way in the old, those days. It was like, oh no, it's too loud. And it's, you know, it's disruptive and this and that. And she started a one woman crusade to um, keep live music in Mill Valley. She went around with her young kids in a stroller and collected signatures, uh, you know, to in support of live music in Mill Valley and to keep Sweetwater open. This is in the late 70s, right after she first took it over. I mean, I was talking to John Goddard before I came here, who's, uh, John is the owner of Village Music, a sort of a famous vinyl record store here in town. And he said he wouldn't sign the position. He didn't care about live music in Mill Valley in those days. You know, very few people did, but she persisted and um, she went in front of the city council and just pleaded her case. And at one point she, um, she read the list of all the local musicians, many of them named musicians, Bobby Weir, Craig Chiquiso, Jerry Garcia, Carlos Santana, it's a long list. It took her two and a half minutes just to read the list. And she said, all these people live here, all these people pay taxes, all these people raise their kids here. Shouldn't they have a place to play? in Mill Valley, and she won over the town council. And that's the reason Mill Valley still has live music, because of that. And here's John Goddard. And it just turned into this mammoth thing. And it was written up in Rolling Stone, and it was written up a lot of other places and all of a sudden this little club in Mill Valley and this little record store in Mill Valley were on the map everywhere. She was charming, she was fearless, she'd take your laundry home and wash it for you while you were getting ready for the show. I'll never forget Dennis Quaid played there one weekend and Meg Ryan came in for the third night when they were together and Meg Ryan was absolutely furious that that lady club owner was washing Dennis's underwear. They got into a huge fight over it. And she was just, she was like a den mother. She was like a den mother to a lot of musicians. And she was fearless. There was nobody she wouldn't at least attempt to book. That home feeling Jeannie brought to it, she was a person you'd see walking around town, I'd say hi to, and so everybody knew each other. And so it was like a hometown expression of the love of this town for the musicians who lived here and had privacy and nobody was making a big deal. It wouldn't always even sell out when some great people were playing there, you know? And it attracted, uh, became a place that people knew about who loved music. Jerry didn't even want to break out of the clubs ever. We played in clubs so much longer because the intimacy, you could see the people. When you start going up, then you next you're in you know theaters, then you're in in civic centers, then you're in stadiums if you're good, you know, and then giant places, man, Woodstock and 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 Altamont and millions of people at Watkins Glen make you appreciate a place like the Sweetwater. We could do a thing like him and Grisman their first little show because Grisman lived up the hill at the time, and at, we'd go up to the house there and they were recording, and it gave Jerry a reconnect to Grisman, but he always felt that the chops for acoustic and electric were so different 
that he didn't like mixing it all the time. And so when he was doing that with Grisman, it was pure because Grisman's such an amazing mandolin player. And the two of them would be recording endlessly up there. It was like a, a solace up, up the hill uh, to play up there. And then they just brought it down to Sweetwater when they wanted to. special people would know and you didn't have to advertise much because you could fill that place easy from just word of mouth lauren rowan moved to marin in the early 70s and quickly recognized sweetwater as a place where he and his bandmates could play freely in front of an engaged audience i think part of it is Jeannie patterson who owned the early sweetwater for the bulk of the time when she took over she was very enthusiastic about the local talent and bands so my brother and I played there. Then I had a reggae rock band called The Edge with my friend Jimmy Dillon and uh, Ozzy Allers. And we could pack that place, you know, 100 people, 120 people. But it was so exciting because it was people were right there, intimate connection between the stage and, and, and the audience. And I think it was, we really could do anything you wanted. We just, we were always working on our original music. Of course, we'd always do covers too, but it was the original music scene that we were developing with the rapport with the, with the audience. From his first visit to Sweetwater in the 80s, pedal steel master and current wolf bro Barry Sless recognized something special about the room. It wasn't the biggest room, wasn't probably the best sounding room, but it had a magic to it, probably some of the DNA that had been left in there by notable people that played there. Last November, Lauren and Barry joined up with Bobby Weir, David Nelson, Jay Lane, and Sam Grisman at the Sweetwater 50th Anniversary Benefit Concert, playing a selection of tunes from the Grateful Dead catalog and the American Songbook. that special night wasn't just a 50th birthday party. It was a fundraiser for the Sweetwater Music Hall Arts Fund. Here's Sweetwater General Manager Maria Hoppe. The whole community came together to celebrate the history of Sweetwater, both then and now. Uh, it was a really a wonderful community event. A lot of people in the community talked about how it really felt like a true celebration for everyone. Also, the goal of that event to raise money for the nonprofit. The board of directors and I elected to choose a very special program based in the Canal District in San Rafael called Enriching Lives Through Music. It is a K through 12 music education program. That night we raised $25,000 to underwrite what we refer to as a Sweetwater Scholarship there now. Uh, 
particular night that stands out in my mind was Elvis Costello was playing here and uh, Sammy Hagar was with us and Jerry. And Jerry didn't even come in with a guitar. We walked in because we, those people were all in town and, and Pete Sears and Jerry jumped up there and with a borrowed guitar, which he seldom did, played it. And he was magic, you know, when he played guitar, he could make any amp and guitar sound signature to him. That's a gift that some musicians have to make their own original sound. And so does Elvis Costello's like that too. And Sammy's got his own thing. And so it was a beautiful blend would happen like that. And we ran into Elvis other times, Elvis Costello, and we could talk about that night again, you know? One time we bumped into him in a hotel in San Diego and beautiful space and the same thing happened. We're just playing out on the lawn. You know, Jerry was jamming with them and talking because of the connection they had made here. The tentacles of even a small little town like this and a small, basically small nightclub with soul could go out to the whole world. That magical evening was one of John Goddard's village music parties. John describes how it came together. I thought, you know, maybe I can talk Elvis Costello into doing something like this. Because he, again, he'd been coming into my store. Uh, his very first American tour, his first ap appearance in the States was at uh, the old Waldorf. And they flew into San Francisco, stayed at the Howard Johnson's here in Mill Valley, because that's where a lot of the rock people stayed that didn't want to stay in the city. Got into a car, came to Village Music and Sweetwater. They're very their very first two stops in the United States. So Elvis and I were fairly close. And I, again, I asked Elvis, he was in the store and I, I, we were actually down at Mickey McGowan's Unknown Museum. And I said, you know, I'm thinking of doing another anniversary party. Do you think you might be interested? And he said, yeah, sure, sounds great. So the next day I get a call from Elvis's manager, Jake Rivera, and he goes, uh, I hear you want to book Elvis into your anniversary party. And I said, yeah, I, I, that sounds like a good, good deal to me. And he goes, you know, he gets like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a gig nowadays. And I said, well, Jake, you know, I can't, I can't do that. And he said, so Jake pauses a minute and he goes, what's the most you ever paid anybody? And I told him it was Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. And I told him the number and he goes, how about we charge you a dollar more than that? and I'll throw in Nick Lowe for free. So we had Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and guest list from hell. We uh, had uh, catered crawfish etouffee and various and sundry other delicacies. Again, it was invitation only. It got to the point a week before the, the show, I quit answering my phone at the store because people, you know, you forgot to invite me, you know, how do I get in? And it just, it got, it got crazy. The night of the party, it went, it went without a hitch. Nick did a solo set and Elvis did a solo set. Charles Brown played for a couple of songs with Kim Wilson from the Thunderbirds and Nick Lowe backing him. And Elvis and Nick did a couple of things together. And then uh, Elvis and Jerry Garcia and James Burton, who was both Elvis Presley and Ricky Nelson's guitar player. So we've got James Burton, Elvis Costello, 
Jerry Garcia on stage, and then um, Bob Weir sang a couple of songs, and Commander Cody sang a couple of songs, and Sammy Hagar sang a couple of songs, and it was just this endless, endless thing. Bill Graham used to come in a lot. He, uh, he had his little, his little seat at the end of the bar by the door where he and Jeannie would, would sit and talk. Bill Graham was the greatest promoter in concert history. And now our presenting sponsor, Marine Lair, has exclusive access to his legendary archive. He saved everything, from ticket stubs to backstage passes and all kinds of never-before-seen artwork from his shows. And Marine Lair's new Bill Graham collection includes band tees that feel like the ones that would have been on the merch table 50 years ago. I've been a fan of their tees since the early days in San Francisco because they make the softest t-shirt of all time. Like imagine the softest thing ever times a hundred. It feels like my old shirt that I've washed a million times, but also looks put together somehow. And they've even got sizes like Marge, which is in between medium and large, so everyone can have their perfect fit. I think we can all admit that the perfect tee can be hard to find, but look no further than Marie Lair. Although Sweetwater gained fame and status among musicians and live music fans from the 70s to the 90s, unfortunately it didn't necessarily mean the venue was thriving as a business. Jeannie sold it in 1998 to Tom and Becky Steer, and then eventually closed in 2007. The place was packed, you know, they'd actually lo lose money because people couldn't get to the bar, you know, to buy booze. So it was kind of a double-edged sword, you know, kind of a situation. And I think Jeannie, um, I was reading some of her uh, letters to people that the Mill Valley Library has in her archives. And, you know, she's talking about, I don't know if I can continue to do this anymore. I don't know if anybody else can do it after I stop. Thanks to a group of local investors, including Bobby Weir, Sweetwater reopened five years later, just a few blocks away. Here's former Mill Valley mayor and Sweetwater board president, Dennis Fisco. It closed, and it was a sad moment in Mill Valley when Sweetwater closed. Uh, a lot of us who patronized the place and were there often, missed our live music, missed the ambiance of the old club. And then I'd say two years after that, about 11 years, 12 years ago, we, uh, we found the Mason's Hall here in Mill Valley and converted the downstairs of the Mason's Hall into what is now Sweetwater Music Hall. It went for many years in a limbo period, you know. And so it was good to see that Jeannie lived to see this place and understand what she had created.
it's easy for you now to understand how delicate it was to transfer to where we are right now at the Sweetwater, modern Sweetwater. And it kept that feeling and that vibe, and it still survives with that alive in here. And so you can come here, I come here all the time just to feel that, that same thing of where you can meet people in Mill Valley or people come here from all over the world to be here at this place now. They might not even realize the history that we're talking about because this place holds it perfectly. You know, I can actually say that with, with you know, some conviction that the, the spirit of Sweetwater uh, is still alive here. Um, under Maria Hoppy, who is running the place now, general manager now, and the other people who are here. It's a huge honor to have been asked to take it over. Uh, and I feel the weight of the responsibility to the community, to Jeannie's memory, um, to all the musicians that played here before and um, the ones that will come after and, uh, and to preserving it. We have a big picture of Jeannie in the office and we totally like, we worship her, you know, and I talk to her regularly. I'll be like, can you believe that just happened? <laughs> yeah. We're just caretakers for Sweetwater. We're just here till the next generation takes it over and keeps it going. So. I know that all those musicians that are out there in Mill Valley and have moved to Northern California and, and Marin County and Mill Valley share a love of Sweetwater, obviously share a love of live music, and they're just trying and as hard as they can as we're trying to do to perpetuate it so that a new group of people could come in and younger people could come in and, and keep the dream of Sweetwater alive. And that's, that's all it is. This is a labor of love, frankly. And, I'm, and I know that's the case with many, many of the musicians who perform here. Life moves fast, and Starbucks Ready to Drink Coffee delivers an uplifting boost that helps you tune into the moments that matter, wherever you are. It's Starbucks Coffee, conveniently packaged for life on the go. As a dad of two young girls and somebody who sees a lot of shows, I'm usually all over the place trying to catch up on sleep and work, and there's not much time during the day to head out to grab a coffee or a meal. That's why I love that I can grab a bottled Frappuccino chilled coffee drink and have my favorite Starbucks coffee ready when I am. Starbucks Coffee, ready for right now. Shop the full lineup online or in-store, wherever you buy groceries. The Sweetwater legacy continues, and in this series, we'll give you a front row seat to some incredible moments in its rich history. Like the 1990 Village Music Christmas Party, where Jerry Garcia and David Grisman performed together publicly for the first time in nearly two decades. We'll also look at musicians like Neil Francis who are carrying forward the Sweetwater legacy. Tell me what you find. 
problems that you have All the ones on your mind And you can't stop the brain Thanks for tuning in. Now enjoy this performance of Peggyo from Sweetwater's 50th anniversary celebration. As we march down to Canaria, we march down to Canaria. Our captain fell in love with a lady like a dove.
Proceeds from this series will be donated to the Sweetwater Music Hall Arts Fund. So just by watching or listening, you're doing your part. If you want to contribute, you can do so at sweetwatermusichall.com arts fund. We'd like to say a very special thanks to tonight's guests. Dennis Fisco, John Goddard, Maria Hoppe, Paul Libertor, Steve Parrish, Lauren Rowan, and Barry Sless. This episode was produced by Natively and Sweetwater Music Hall. Written by Jared Katzman and Travis Retke. Edited and mixed by Ryan O'Leary. Sound by Jesse Block, Lewis Block, Dan Friedman, and Michael Wilson. Graphics and art by Juliana Barcia. Footage courtesy of Sweetwater Music Hall, John Goddard, and Jesse Block. Special thanks to Bob Sarles, Aaron Saul, Michael Wilson, the Sweetwater Music Hall and its staff, and thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Marine Lair.